But let me read it for us before John comes up to speak. We're reading Romans chapter 13, beginning at verse 1 and through to verse 7. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against God who has instituted what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? And do what's right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of the possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, John. Thanks, Johnny. Just another little item to make you aware of for prayer. I had a, uh, we had a phone call from Judy Dillon this morning and um, they haven't been able to get visas for um, getting Jemima and Tim back into India and they're constantly chasing visas. There's been a few other OMF missions who have had visas count, turned down for India recently um, so you might just want to keep those situations in your prayers. Let's pray as we come to look at the Word of God together. Father, help us to understand your word here that Paul writes writes to the Romans and help us to be willing to submit to your word. Lord, when it challenges us, when it it pushes us at places where we've been sinful, where, where we don't want to submit, we pray that you'd by your spirit work in us so that we will submit to your word and obey. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's Friday night, end of work. You've decided to go out with your friends for drinks after work. You're having a good time, you're talking, you're enjoying. Suddenly the conversation steers around to politics and it gets a bit more energetic, a bit more excited and you start saying, ah, oh, so-and-so, just a stupid, stupid politician. So, oh, and then, you know, I can't stand that person. And then you all start saying, what about their ears? You know, they're stupid ears. And you move to another person, their voice. That voice drives me crazy, I can't stand her. She's terrible. Idiots. They're fools. You have a bit of a laugh. You're eating, you're dining and drinking al fresco at the time and a couple of police walk past. Male and female officer, quite young. They walk past and someone at your table as they're walking past goes... The police, they turn around, they come over to your table and they said, I think we heard 
uh, snorting coming from this table. Oh, no, office, no, no snorting here, officer. No, no, maybe you're hearing things. <laughs> I don't know. Listen, it's disrespectful. We'd appreciate you don't do it. Oh, no, we didn't do anything. Yeah, you have a good night. Good night, officer. The cops walk away. <laughs> Did you see that young guy? He can barely grow a moustache. I think he should be called Peppa Pig. One of someone else at the table says, "Yeah, what about women in uniform, eh? Right? What do you reckon about her, eh?" And you start talking together, and it gets a little bit crude as you're talking about this police officer, but you're having a good laugh about it. It's all a good time. And you continue drinking and eating, and then uh, you're in the city, you're going to go home by a circuit key station, you drop at 7-Eleven on the way and buy a packet of chips on your way to the station, you just throw it on the gutter, because frankly, what are council workers for? What are they going to do if they're not cleaning up your chips packet? You get to the station, the turnstile's open and there's no one there. You beauty, a free train ride. Get off at Pennant Hills, there's no one at Pennant Hills to stop you. You're on the train, you put your feet up on the seat. What a stupid rule that is, hey? Like as if your backside's going to wear the seat more than your foot. Now you enjoy your train ride home. Get back to Pennant Hills, get into the car, you've had a bit too much to drink. But it's late. You know the way home, no one's ever out checking out this time. So you head off, you're driving down Boundary Road, do an 80 down Boundary Road, but who cares? You get home, you're tired, it's been a long day at work, you've had a good night out, right? So you're going, oh, what am I going to do now? I go and find my stash, I pull out some green stuff, and I roll myself a joint. And just before I go to bed, just, you know, wind the day down. Who says this stuff should be illegal? This is crazy. Man, this is the best stuff. And go to sleep another week over. Life is good. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a night out like that. You laugh. And probably, maybe some of you haven't, but does it sound implausible? Does it sound unreasonable in our society? This is what Paul says to the Roman Christians. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. I'm continuing the series through Romans 12 and 13, which we've titled Reasonable Worship. What is our reasonable spiritual worship from chapters 12 and 13? We've had a bit of a break, but we're back to it. Paul is writing to Roman Christians, telling them, to offer their whole bodies as living sacrifices. This is reasonable. Don't conform to this world. This is reasonable. And he's been encouraging humility. Don't think of yourself too highly. He's been encouraging as you are humble that you love and serve other people, that you pursue what is good. You don't seek revenge. You trust God. 
He comes to chapter 13 and there's this doing good, this humility. Now he speaks about it in the sphere of with respect to the state, the government authorities. Now, as if, if you're a committed Baptist, which some of you may or not be, but Baptists have traditionally, has historically been committed to the separation of church and state. Churches are independent communities, families of God. And yes, of course, church Christians can be involved in the state, but the church is not trying to overtake the state or control the state. There's a separation of the church and the state. I think that's a good thing. But here Paul says in chapter 13, there is no separation of church and state. In fact, the state must impact how we worship. And how we worship must be part of what happens in state. Not that we try to get interstate to overthrow the state, to set up a Christian state. No, 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 no. But that we as believers, as people in church, must submit to the state. And that that is worship. In all of its requirements upon us, we must submit to the state. And that's a really challenging message for us. Because we live in a very individually minded society with an increasing tendency towards anti-authoritarianism where my right as an individual is what's primary and therefore I have a right to protest. In fact, I even have a right to ignore your laws if they don't suit me because it's all about me and my own independent authority and status. Romans 13 says, no, no, that's wrong. We are called to a countercultural response to the state. We are not to conform to the pattern of our current age. Now, it's a very simple passage and it has a very simple message. There is nothing particularly hard about this. In fact, you know, I was trying to think of a title for this talk and usually I'm trying to find something that captures what I'm trying to say in this message and it's a little bit cryptic, a little bit intriguing. I know most of you ignore them, but I put a bit of effort into this that will capture some interest. And I thought about this. So what I don't want to do for a title for my passage is go and do what the Bible translations do and just put a nice clear heading so you know exactly what the passage is about. But as I thought about Romans 13, I could do no better than the heading in the NIV. Submission to authorities. What's the talk about today? The talk is about exactly what this is about because this is exactly what it's about. Submit to the authorities. That's what Paul is calling us to do. It's that simple. So let's look at it. Verses 1 and 2. Everyone must submit him or herself to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. See, if you want to obey God, you must submit to the governing authorities. If you disobey, that is to bring judgment on yourself, judgment from God even perhaps via the authorities. It's quite simple. We skip a few verses down to verse 7, just in case you're not sure. Therefore, after my argument, it is necessary 
to submit to the authorities. Not only because of possible punishment, but because of conscience. This is why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, then pay taxes. If you owe revenue, then revenue. If you owe respect, then respect. That's literally fear. If you owe fear, pay fear. If you owe honour, then pay honour. So you've got to submit, you've got to pay taxes, you've got to pay the train fare, even if you can get away with it, you've got to not litter, you've got to drive according to the road rules, don't speed, don't break the law, even if you think the law is stupid. You must submit. That is a Christian duty. And to be frank, most of us do most of the time. When I was growing up, when I was young, there wasn't nearly as much emphasis on simple things that we take for granted like wearing a seatbelt. When I was young, I often wouldn't put a seatbelt on. You just didn't have to do it. When I was learning to drive, it wasn't uncommon for people to drive at 140, 150 kilometres an hour on country roads. Drink driving wasn't nearly the stigma and the terrible thing that it's treated as today. Now, why has that changed? I'll tell you why it's changed, because if you speed, there's a good chance you'll get caught today. If you drink and drive, you might be RBT'd and lose your licence. It's the law to put your seatbelt on, and if you get busted, you'll be fine. It was different when I was younger. So why do we do these, follow these laws? We follow them because it seems to me we're scared of getting caught because when they didn't, when the law was in place and people weren't scared of getting caught, they spared and they didn't wear their seatbelts and they drank, drank and drive, drove more often. Now, it's very different for the Christian because the Christian, if you have a look at there at verse 5, it is necessary to submit to the authorities not only because of possible punishment but also because of conscience. It's the right thing to do, so do it. Don't put your feet on the seats in the trains, even if you think it's a stupid law, because it's the right thing to do. The rulers have been appointed by God, therefore give to everyone what you owe him. If taxes taxes, if revenue, revenue, if respect, respect, if honour, honour. Now this impacts how we speak about people in authority. How we treat them. How we work with them. And I fear that many of our political conversations can quickly become ungodly and disrespectful and an expression of our pride which is sin. What a stupid so-and-so. What idiots we have. So-and-so, I hate that politician because he or she is just a blah, 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 because frankly, I'm better. And I'd do a much better job if I was in their shoes because they're an idiot and it makes me feel good because they're in a public place and they're a leader, so open slather to shoot. That is ungodly, I think. It's not ungodly to have opinions. It's not ungodly to express your opinions in healthy ways. It's ungodly to slander and be proud. Now, I know what some of you may be thinking. But, but, but what if? What if they are stupid politicians, stupid bureaucrats, 
petty tyrants. We've all bumped into them, haven't we? What if they are incompetent? What if they are not petty tyrants, but genuine tyrants? What if they're corrupt to the core? What if they're lining their own pockets? Here's what Paul writes to the Romans. Everyone must submit him or herself to the governing authorities. If there is, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. God has established government for order, for good. And he intends us to live under government authority. Tyranny is better than anarchy. And that is proven again and again and again in our world. Even a tyranny is better than anarchy. Or every government authority will be sinful to measure. They will be incompetent to a measure. And yet we are called to submit to them. Even the worst government authorities are for our good. Paul writes, For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. The truth is, very, very, very little good has ever come out of rebellion or civil war. I could go through heaps of examples. Tyrannies tried to be overthrown, Arab Springs, Sri Lankan conflict, Balkans, American Civil War. We could just go on and on and on. Some commentators, when you read about this passage, most of what they write about is the exceptions. They're writing about what Paul writes here, but they're telling you all the exception clauses so that it's not really, it doesn't really hold in this situation. And I think they've got rocks in their head. I shouldn't say, I've been telling you, don't slander them. I don't agree with their opinion. Because Paul's very, very clear. So when is it then okay to disobey or to revolt? Or to hold the government account. Paul just said, all that Paul's saying here, you read it, all he's saying is submit. God has established the authorities. And he's writing to Christians in Rome, in the Roman emperor, Empire, when Nero is emperor. Now it's slightly earlier in Nero's reign, but he's a slightly nicer character, a slightly nicer version of despicable evil. in a society controlled by power and corruption, but which does have a unified government, which is better than the civil war that raged through the empire in the 30 BC and earlier. Paul says submit. Some say oh, it's just because it was a peaceful time for Paul. Paul benefited from his Roman citizenship, so he's telling everyone else to submit. He doesn't understand how crazy the world is. 
Later on, when things were getting crazier for Christians, he wrote to Titus. He said this in Titus chapter 3, verse 1, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and to be ready to do whatever is good. Peter wrote to Christians in Asia Minor, today's Turkey, who were facing great persecution. They were really under threat. Here's what Peter wrote to them. 1 Peter chapter 2. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted amongst men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Verse 17. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honour. Honour the king and these believers are being persecuted so what are the exceptions for when you don't have to submit they are not there but 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 what about but there is one critical distinction I think and that is that Paul and Peter write, submit. They do not say obey. They say submit to their authority, which will most of the time involve obedience. But if the state commands contrary to what God requires, if the state requires us to sin, then we must submissively disobey. If the state requires you to do what is contrary to the will of God, you must submissively disobey as a believer because you are subject to a higher authority. And then when you submissively disobey, you must be prepared to face the consequences. That's a hard call, isn't it? Let me give you some examples. Peter and John. It's the very early days of the church. Jesus has ascended to heaven. Peter and John heal a crippled beggar in Jesus' name. Everyone is amazed and astonished. And so Peter and John take this opportunity to tell them about Jesus. And he calls them all to repent and trust in the risen Jesus for life. Well, the Jewish authorities are listening to this and they don't like this message of resurrection in Jesus. And so they arrest Peter and John and they bring them before their council. In Acts chapter 4, verse 18. And they called them in and they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourself whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We will obey God. And they submit to their instructions. They, they submit to their false arrest. And this time they let them go. Another example from the Old Testament. There's these four fellows. Daniel got to get their names because I don't usually know these names. Come on, eyes. Daniel, 
Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. They are living in Babylon. They have been exiled from Jerusalem. They are living under pagan rule from a king who has overthrown their nation and the city. They are living with the enemy under his authority. And they, these young men are chosen for the king's service. Well, you can just imagine, we're Jews, there is no other king but God and his Messiah, the king of Jerusalem. No, 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 they're living in Babylon. So they submit. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 4. They were to be taught the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years and after that they were to enter the king's service, the pagan king. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. <clears throat> their names are changed. Their beautiful Jewish name that recognise their identity the authority comes and says, you know, now you're having Babylonian names and they submit. Something is central to your identity is your name. They enter the king's service. But when it comes to the food and the food laws of Israel that God gave them, Daniel says, no, we must obey the Lord. Faithful to God and faithful to the governing authorities. When obedience to God conflicts with obedience to Babylon, however, we will not obey king. You get to chapter 3 and the king builds a huge statue in the land. And he says, everybody, when the music plays, when everything's on, you ought to bow down and worship the statue. If not, I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they serve the God of Israel, the one true God, and they say, no, we will not bow down. And they're taken before the king in Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of God you have set up. These men who serve the king faithfully will disobey when it means being obedient to God. Even if it costs them their life, they will face the consequences. They will not rebel. And if you know the story, they're thrown into the furnace and God preserves them in that furnace. And when they're brought out of the furnace, in chapter, verse 28 of that chapter, Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego who sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and they defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. 
Therefore I decree to the peoples of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego be cut to pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. He's a pretty strong king. But God is praised through their obedience and submission. Get to chapter 6. Many, many years later, the empire's changed. Now the Persians are running the show and Daniel is still there and Daniel through his whole life has been a powerful government official serving the Babylonians and now the Persians. But some people envy Daniel. So if you go to chapter 6 verse 4 of Daniel, at this the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Daniel served faithfully and submitted to the king. There's no reason for accusation. So they set a trap. They said to the king, to Darius, how about you make a rule that you're the only one anyone's allowed to pray to, O king? Because you're like, you're, the, you're like a god. And the king said, great idea. And they said, yeah, set a law that anyone who doesn't do this will be killed. Well, they did that and Daniel disobeyed the law because he couldn't pray to the king as God because he prayed to the Lord as God. And Daniel's busted and they take him and the law has to be fulfilled. They throw him in a den full of hungry lions. And the Lord preserves Daniel. You know the story. Daniel chapter 6, verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations of men in every language, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree in every part of my kingdom. People must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of of the lion. So Daniel continued to prosper during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Can you see that Daniel submitted and faced the consequences when he had to disobey the governing authority? If you look at Paul in the New Testament, on his missionary journeys, he does the same thing. He submits to the authorities and he obeys the Lord, and he faces the consequences. It's hard, but that's the call for the Christian. Because what a terrible thing it would be to oppose the servant of God. There is another king mentioned in Daniel. I just read his name just then. He's a bit earlier than Darius. His name's Cyrus. He's also Persian. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, refers to Cyrus in Isaiah 45. This is what the Lord says to his anointed. Some of you might know that. This is what the Lord says to his Messiah. That's what anointed means. This is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of to subdue nations before him, to strip kings of their armour, to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. The Lord says, I will go before you and will level the mountains and will break down, bring down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. 
I will give you treasures of darkness, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. Cyrus, king of Persia, of the Persian Empire, the servant of God, indeed the the Christ, the Messiah of God. The only term that phrase is ever used of a non-Jew in the Scriptures. Cyrus is God's servant, as is every governing authority. As our passage says, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which is God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Verse 4, for he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing, for he is God's servant an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Down in verse 6, this is why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Would you disobey God's servant? No wonder we're told to pray for the government and those in authority over us. And oh, that more of God's children particularly if some of you are young at school or studying, oh, that more of God's children would find themselves in the place where they give their full time to governing, helping have an ordered, just society, to serving in government and politics like Daniel did. I want to show you some of God's servants. Here's one. This is the Premier of our state, Mike Baird. Mike Baird is a committed Bible-believing Christian. He goes to an Anglican church. You just have to read some of the stuff that he says and you see that he loves Jesus. He's not ashamed to say that. He is God's servant, our Premier. Here's another one. Our Deputy Commissioner of Police in New South Wales, Andrew Scipioni. According to Wikipedia, he's a Baptist and he goes to Hillsong Church. He is a committed Christian. I've been told by good measure that he meets regularly with Mike Baird and prays about issues in our, in our state that affect policing particularly. He is God's servant as he leads our police. We're all God's servants. Let me show you another one. So Glenn Stevens. This is one of the most powerful men in Australia. He is Governor of the Reserve Bank of Australia. People get nervous when he winks or nods his head. Share markets move on such things. He goes to a Baptist church in Canberra. He plays the guitar in the band. Here's what Glenn Stevens says. This is a quote. If you are a Christian, God has given you a certain capabilities to do a job and earn a living. The Bible teaches that you should do that just as if you were doing that for him because you are. And that is my attitude. I am serving God. He is God's servant. We need to pray for people like this who give their full time to governing. Let me show you another one. Ian Brunton. Looks a bit more like a goose, I know. That's the photo Ian gave me when I asked asked his permission. Let me tell you about Ian. Ian works for the Premier's department in the city, so he kind of works for Mike Baird as a public servant. He works on policy. 
At the moment, he's working on social housing, housing commission. It is incredibly frustrating. He struggles not to get cynical about it because it's such a hard area of work. You want to solve the social housing problems in our state? You think, just bomb them or build more? So often, so many housing commission places are just dens of dysfunction. What, what's the easy solution? There is no easy solution. Praise God that Ian Brunton's in there working on policy on social housing. And he finds it very hard, because it is very hard. He used to work in the child protection area. It's also very hard with indigenous child protection issues. There are no easy solutions, but praise God for people like Ian. He is God's servant. Let me show you another one. She was God's servant, serving us full-time in the matter of governing. Let me read a quote from her. This was in an interview in America. She was raised a Baptist, went to a Baptist Sunday school. I think it would be inconceivable for me if I were an American to have turned up at the highest echelon of American politics being an atheist, single and childless. She was Prime Minister during one of the most turbulent political times in our history. There were lots of politics. It was a fairly stable country, but lots of politics. And I bet you had big opinions on Julia Gillard. Because everybody did. People used to make fun of her appearance and the clothes she was wearing. Let me tell you, she was God's servant worthy of our honour and our respect. And if you made fun of her clothing or her hair or her figure, you need to repent and ask God to forgive you. That is wicked. She, the atheist, is God's servant. And very few parliamentarians are bold enough to say they're atheists. Most are wishy-washy believers in God who claim some denominational heritage but are godless people in terms of their commitment to Jesus. At least this woman said, I'm an atheist. Let me show you another one of God's servants. This man is a bully. I think he's organised the execution of opponents. He leads one of the most biggest, most powerful countries in the world. He hides up corruption as far as I can see. I don't know all the details because I'm remote, but... I fear this man to a measure. But he is God's servant. And if you're living in Russia, you owe him respect and submission. Because God put him in that position. That's what I think Paul is telling us here. If you think I'm wrong, please convince me because I just cannot see it any other way. We need to support and pray for our leaders and submit to them. And let me tell you, that is better than revolution. It is better than anarchy. It is better than the pain and the death of civil war. I look at our brothers and sisters in China and I know life's complex. Dreadfully oppressed for years by a dreadful regime. And these brothers and sisters in Christ in China kept meeting together 
and by and large submitting to their government authorities. And they continue to do so in a state that's officially atheistic still, I believe. And our brothers and sisters in China have grown to be around 100 or so million people, 60 to 100 million people, and are transforming that nation. Not by revolution, but by justice and example. And many of them have suffered and face the consequences of living for Jesus and being obedient to his command rather than the command of the Lord. And they have changed society for the better. That is my conviction. And in a nation like China, they've changed our world for the better. It's a hard message, but I think it works. We need to remember in the sphere of politics that Jesus is Lord. He is on the throne. And our primary confession is that Jesus is Lord. That's greater than saying I am an Australian, but it also gives me the strength to say I will submit to your authority, government, because Jesus is Lord. My Lord. That's my reasonable worship. It's fascinating in this Romans 12 and 13 to see as Paul puts the gospel into practice, he calls us to humility. If you're finding this message hard, maybe it's because of a failure in humility. He calls us to humility, which leads to submission. He calls us to love, which leads to service. Consistently. And that is to be expressed in the social sphere as we relate to government where we find it at times hard to submit because we think we're better and they're idiots. Jesus set the example for us, the great example. He was abused, he was mistreated, he was faithful to his father. He who had all the power in the world to overthrow entrusted himself to his father and did not resist. and kept silence in the face of great injustice He appeared before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. Jesus knew what was going on. He knew it was unjust. He knew he could change things with just a word. And Jesus said to Pilate in John chapter 19, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Because Pilate was God's servant. And he submitted to the cross in love for you and I. Jesus sets the example. I love that hymn and we find in Philippians chapter 2, that little poem. Each of you should look not only to your own interests but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, held on to, but made himself nothing in humility taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to his father, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, as he submitted to the authorities. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Submission and service. This is our reasonable worship to be expressed in the social sphere. This is the power that changes things. Submission and service. This is the power to change our society and to bless the world. I pray that we might have more of this power in our life and in our church. Let's pray. Father, help us to submit and to serve. Help us to trust you when things look confusing and we don't understand what you're doing. Help us to submit and serve and honour our government authorities, we ask in Jesus' name.